many of you enjoy watching how-to shows on TV? Anybody? Have to admit, I, I enjoy them. I especially love it when they, they show the finished product at the very beginning, and then they, they walk you step-by-step step through the process. And really, it could be a show on cooking. It could be a show on building things for the home or, or gardening. I, I oftentimes just get sucked into it. I enjoy it. And apparently, I'm not alone. There are other people who do as well because there are TV stations filled with how-to shows, right? You have Food Network, HGTV. There's a DIY network. I think it's still up and going. Do-it-yourself network. So apparently, I'm not alone, right? And to be honest with you, that's one of the reasons why I've enjoyed studying through this book, the book of Acts. Because in this book, we get an inside look at how God is at work building his church and advancing his kingdom and how he is at work step by step through the process. First, Jesus lays out the finished product, doesn't he? In Acts chapter 1 verse 8. He says, you're going to be empowered on high by the Holy Spirit. Then you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And for the rest of the book of Acts, we're we're told step by step how that happens, how those words are fulfilled. And I've really enjoyed studying through this book to see how God is at work providentially behind the scenes and how he is work at work in obvious and miraculous ways in every little detail to bring this about. Throughout this book, we see him working through his people and through the power of his Holy Spirit to bring people into his family and to grow his church. And we see him working in and through circumstances, don't we? Good and bad to advance his kingdom. We definitely see that here in Acts chapter 11. That's where we're going to be this morning, Acts chapter 11. This chapter is written on the heels of this great Gentile revival that we looked at last week, recorded for us in Acts chapter 10 in in Caesarea. And in this chapter, chapter 11, we see God at work in his people and in the, the steps his people take to take his message and his ministry out from the Jews in Jerusalem to the non-Jews to the Gentiles in Antioch and elsewhere. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at the beginnings of this great ministry to the Gentiles at Antioch. And I want to take you through the steps God takes to do this great work. Notice first, the first step, the first necessary step that God takes in this process to take his message and ministry out to the Gentiles is this. First, he lays the proper groundwork to do this work. First, God lays the foundation for this great work amongst the Gentiles. And we see that in the first 18 verses of Acts chapter 11. Now, before I read this passage of Scripture, let me set the stage for you a little bit. Last week, we left Peter in Caesarea, where he witnessed this great work of God in the household of Cornelius to the Gentiles. And in Acts chapter 11, we learn that after this great work, after witnessing this great work, 
Peter returns to Jerusalem to report to the Jews that the Gentiles have in fact come to saving faith in Jesus. And you get the feeling that Peter knows this is going to be tough news for them to take, for them to hear, because it was a tough pill for him to swallow, right? Peter had to receive a vision from God to prepare his heart for it. God sent him this vision showing him that Jews and Gentiles can be and will be united by faith in Christ. He had been shown this in a vision. Peter also went and witnessed this great work firsthand when he went to Cornelius' house. His Jewish brothers in Jerusalem, though, they hadn't seen any of that, right? They hadn't been with Peter. They had not received this vision from God and they had not been with Peter in Caesarea to witness this great work. And at this time, many of them still had major hang-ups with the Gentiles. That They believed that Christ was the Lord and Savior of the Jews and maybe the Samaritans, but that's about it. And so, in the first part of this passage, we have Peter's report of what happened with Cornelius. And I'm just going to read this account. I'm going to make a few comments along the way because what you're going to find is this is a recap of what we talked about in Acts chapter 10. But before Peter retells this story, notice what happens in verses 1 through 3. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them? Now let's stop there for just a minute. Notice word travels fast, right? Faster than Peter did. Peter couldn't even get home and defend himself before news had already come to Jerusalem and they already had their own opinions. People do this a lot, don't they? Of our three girls, Ava is the the pickiest by far when it comes to food. A lot of the time, Leslie hasn't even started to prepare the meal and Ava will just hear the the name of it and she'll have her mind set that she's not going to like it before she even smells it, and and definitely before she tastes it. And, And that's what Peter is faced with here. When he returns to Jerusalem, the word has already gotten back to the Jews of what's taken place in Caesarea. And and notice he already has his critics. We're told that those from the circumcision party, which, by the way, that was a group of Jews at this time who claimed to be Christian, but they believed that the only way anyone else could come to Christ was by becoming a Jew first. And that involved circumcision. So they believed circumcision was a prerequisite for salvation. Store that in your mind, okay? Because we're going to talk about that more as we continue on in this study. So notice here, there is potential for major division right here, right? Between the Jews. There is potential for a major rift here, but, but notice God works in and through this to bring these barriers down that the Jews had. And we learn a great lesson here, right? Because when Peter goes to them, he just gives them the truth of what God has done, knowing that it might upset some. Listen, we're to be true to God's word no matter what. Do you know that? A lot of people shy away from sharing certain elements of the gospel for fear that it might offend. Or they don't share it at all 
for fear of angering others. Listen, though the gospel does upset some, it doesn't matter how you sugarcoat the truth. We're to speak the truth in love, but at times when we do that, it still offends. But get this, God uses hard truths from his word to change our hearts and to conform our will to his. That's why we're not to shy away when it comes to the truth. And that's what Peter does here. He doesn't shy away from it. We're told Peter began and explained it to them in order. He said, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners. And it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, by no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and all was drawn up again into heaven. Now notice here, isn't it interesting that the source of their issue with Peter is the fact that he entered into this house of this uncircumcised Gentile and ate. And in Acts chapter 10, Peter receives a vision from God telling Peter to rise and eat. That he has done away with the dietary laws they've been done away with. That Christ has broken down this dividing wall, as Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4. But that's not all this vision was about, just God doing away with dietary laws. He's telling Peter, God is telling Peter, and Peter in turn is telling the Jews in Jerusalem that the one who is able to unite them, the Lord Jesus, is far greater than what used to divide them. He's he's telling these Jews that in Christ, these barriers that used to divide Jew and Gentile all come crashing down. Peter says, I was told this three times, which, by the way, should show you how hard-headed Peter was, right? That's what I believe that's getting at there. He had to hear it three times, and I'm sure you had some hard-headed Jews in Jerusalem that Peter had to report this news to, right? And notice when he says, all was drawn up, the clean and the unclean animals to heaven. Again, we said last week that represents the Jews and the Gentiles, and God is showing Peter as he brings this sheet up to be with him that his kingdom consists of Jews and Samaritans and Gentiles. That point is clear. And he shares this with them. And then he says, after God gave me this illustration, this this vision of the work he's going to do amongst the Gentiles, he shows me what this work is going to look like. Look at verse 11. And behold, at that moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were, sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me, the Jewish eyewitnesses he brought with him. And we entered the man's house. Now notice here, Peter is not standing alone here in Jerusalem, is he? He says, these six brothers were also with me. He includes those guys with him. And, I, and my guess is, they're just sort of standing with Peter, just sort of nodding in approval. Yes, we've seen this happen. We were there. We saw it. And he's, they're with him. Look at verse 13. 
And he told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and, and say, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. So Peter makes mention of his vision that he received from God, and he also makes mention of the fact that an angel appeared to Cornelius. He's showing these Jews in Jerusalem God is at work on both ends. He's working in Peter's heart, he's working in Cornelius' heart, and he's working to bring these two together for this great work to happen. Verse 15. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. Remember we said last week, Peter wasn't even done with this sermon before the Spirit fell. How awesome is that? He wasn't even finished with this conclusion. He was trying to wrap up, but he couldn't get there in time, so the Spirit just came, right? Some of y'all wish that would happen sometimes, I'm sure. Peter says we were there. We, we saw it with our own eyes. The Gentiles, like the Samaritans in Acts chapter 8, got the same thing we got in Acts chapter 2, verse 16. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? Wow, Peter makes a compelling case here, doesn't he? Notice he has a large number of credible Jewish eyewitnesses with him, and he talks about their experiences in Caesarea, and he also appeals to Scripture. He quotes Jesus. Now, it wasn't in the Word yet, in the written Word yet. That comes when Luke writes it down. But he's appealing to Scripture here. He quotes Jesus in verse 16 to make the case that the Gentiles have been baptized by and dwelt with the Holy Spirit. We learn a great principle here, folks. Though we should share our experiences with others, our experiences must jive with Scripture. You with me? So Peter shares their experiences, but he also quotes Jesus to validate this great work. And after that, Peter says, Who is I to argue? Who is I to stand in God's way? That's sort of similar to what he says to the Jewish eyewitnesses who are with them at the end of Acts chapter 10. Remember, they witnessed this great work amongst the Gentiles in Caesarea. And then Peter turns to them at the end of Acts chapter 10 and verse 47. And he says, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And of course, there were no objections then. But what about here in Jerusalem? What about with this group of Jews? As we said earlier, there is potential here, folks, for great division over whether the Gentiles could be a part of the community of God and remain Gentiles. Look at what happened. Verse 18, when they heard these things, they fell silent. I bet you could hear a pin drop. Then what happened? Did they run Peter and the other six Jews out of town? Did some agree and others not and the church split? Is that what happened? Now look, this is amazing. It says, and they glorified God, saying, then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Folks, that is a ginormous statement there made by the Jews. That is huge. What happens here? Boy, God had done a great work in them, hadn't he? 
The same as he did in Peter. And notice, the crowd goes from looking down on Peter for entering into the home of Gentiles and eating with them to declaring that God has granted repentance to the Gentiles that leads to life. God had changed their hearts. This is a necessary first step that had to be made here. It's necessary that this foundation be laid, that the groundwork be laid, so that the Jews could then go on to the Gentiles and do fruitful ministry there, and that's what they do. So God lays this groundwork for them, and then notice second, he sends the right men to start this work. That's the second step in the process. God sends the right men to start this work. Look at verses 19 through 21. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch speaking the word to no one except Jews. So they're just ministering to Jews at this time. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, also preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. Now I want you to notice here, Luke shifts gears in this chapter, doesn't he? In the first part of Acts chapter 11, he mentions this encounter of Peter reporting back to the Jews in Jerusalem about the great work that God had done with the Gentiles. And he ends this section by mentioning the fact that when the Jews heard this report, they made this great declaration that God had granted repentance to the Gentiles that lead to life. That's a monumental event right there, right? And then after giving this account, Luke then transitions to focus on the beginning of the ministry to the Gentiles. And notice the beginnings of this Gentile ministry start in a city known as Antioch. So get this, let me just, let me just break down the book once again, the book of Acts. In the first third of the book, of Acts, we have Luke focusing primarily on Peter's ministry to the Jews in Jerusalem. And now we have a great transition here to Paul's ministry to the Gentiles across the known world. And, and Peter is the one who kicks that door open, right? And just like the Jerusalem was a key focus in the first part of the book of Acts because the first Christian church was in Jerusalem and it was made up of Jews. In Acts chapter 11, we learn there is another key city, the city of Antioch. And the city of Antioch, in the city of Antioch, we have the first Gentile church. Now, how did the gospel get to Antioch? Did you know Antioch is over 300 miles away from Jerusalem? How did it get there? Well, Luke tells us. In verse 19, we learn that after the Jews were scattered due to persecution that broke out in Acts chapter 8 after Stephen is killed, the Jewish Christians that were chased out of Jerusalem were told they traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch. And at first, we're told they spoke to no one except the Jews. But notice in verse 20, there were some of them, Jewish converts from Cyprus and Cyrene, who began to speak to the Hellenists, who began to speak to the Greeks, the non-Jews, the Gentiles in Antioch about Jesus. And we're told they preached Jesus to them, and a great number of Gentiles turned to the Lord. Now, this did not all happen at once, okay? There's quite a bit of time that passes from the first part of Acts chapter 11 until now. 
few years had passed before this ministry to the Gentiles began in Antioch. And we don't know if the missionaries in Antioch knew about the great work that was taking place in Caesarea and now they knew they could go and take the gospel to the non-Jewish people or whether they just did it anyways. We're not told uh, one way or another. But for some reason, whatever reason, these Christians from Cyprus and Cyrene began ministering to the Gentiles in Antioch and we're told a great number of them were saved and an incredible church is started in this city. So notice here, God uses the right men to bring his gospel to the Gentiles in this city. Now, why do we know that they were the right men? Why do I say that? Well, notice several characteristics here of these guys Number one, they were anonymous. I love that, don't you? Who started the church in Antioch? Nobody knows. Nobody knows. Men of Cyprus and Cyrene. And I bet that didn't concern them one bit, do you? They were about making Jesus' name great, not their own. I love that kind of nameless, faceless commitment to Christ, don't you? Think of all the nameless, faceless people who are doing great things in God's kingdom. We're going to hear about. We're going to hear wonderful stories. Stories that nobody knows about. So I love that. Notice also they are bold for Christ. We're told that they were preaching the Lord Jesus boldly. They had the favor of the Lord. We're told that the hand of the Lord was with them. That's why they were so fruitful. And lastly, notice they had the heart of God. While their brothers and sisters in Christ were ministering only to the Jews, we're told that they preached the Lord Jesus Christ to the non-Jews, to the Greeks. They had a heart like God's, a desire like his to see all peoples come to know him through Jesus. So God lays the proper groundwork to do this work and he sends the right men to do this work of ministry. And notice he selects a great place to begin this work. That's point number three. That's the third step here. In verses 19 through 20, we are told that he chose Antioch to be the place this church was going to be planted and Antioch was going to be the place this ministry was going to happen. You know, though at times God uses unlikely people in unlikely places for his purposes, we also learn when we study the scriptures that at times God is also very, very strategic in why he does what he does. And we see that here in the choosing of Antioch. And I'll tell you why. Number one, because Antioch was a big city. It was the third largest city in the Roman Empire at this time. You had Rome, you had Alexandria, and then you had Antioch. And it was also diverse. There are a lot of different types of, of people in Antioch. It was a melting pot of people and cultures. I read where it said the Roman roads all crisscrossed through Antioch. What that meant was... It was very diverse, and we're going to learn in the coming weeks that the church also reflected this diversity, which was a good thing. The reason why is because this church was the training ground for many missionaries in the first century. So it's good they were diverse to be able to minister to different types of people. It was also a wicked city. Some of you are like, well, why does that mean it was a good city if it was wicked? Because there was great need there. A Roman writer once wrote that Antioch corrupted Rome. 
about that. Hey, if Rome calls you rotten, you're bad. You're bad. Antioch corrupted Rome. It was a city filled with brothels and prostitution and paganism, all kinds of sick immorality going on there. It was a city in need of a savior. It was a city in great need of Christ's church. We have a rose bush on the backside of our house, and that bush is covered with thorns, and it will cut your hands up if you try to lay hold of it. But from that bush comes the most beautiful, wonderful smelling roses. That's what this church was in this vile city. Church of Antioch was a beautiful rose in this rotten and thorny city. So God selected a great city to begin this work and he also sends the right man to continue this work. That's the next point. Look at verse 22. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. Man, they could not have sent a better guy. Whenever Barnabas is brought up in the scriptures, it's always good, which is a good question for us to ask ourselves, right? Does every time your name come up in the mouth of someone else, is it always good? When it comes to your character, when it comes to who you are in Christ, Boy, Barnabas is always mentioned in the positive. In chapter 4, remember he's selling his land and giving all the proceeds to the 12 to give back out to those in need. In Acts chapter 9, remember when Saul comes to Jerusalem, he's just been saved. And after being saved, some of the Christians are still a little skeptical and they're keeping their distance. Who goes to Paul and brings him in? Barnabas. Barnabas does. Barnabas was a selfless loving, giving servant of the Lord. And I bet he didn't think twice about packing up and going to minister 300 miles away to a bunch of Gentiles in Antioch. That's just the kind of guy Barnabas was. And we're told that, that when he got to Antioch, he responded with the right message. Look at verse 23. When he came and saw the grace of God at Antioch, he was glad and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose he saw them living for christ and when he came he told them this he said keep living for christ remain faithful keep trusting keep following keep believing stay on the path you're on stay on the hard but right way boy that is the absolute right message to give to every new follower of christ to every follower of christ see barnabas knew that when you give your life to christ your life doesn't always get better at times it gets much, much worse. And he learned that the hard way, going out with Paul and doing ministry. You go do ministry with Paul, you're going to land in a world of trouble, aren't you? But for God and his glory. But it was the right message that he gave. And he and Paul oftentimes would, would give believers this kind of advice. They would say, no matter what happens, stay faithful, keep trusting, keep following, keep following hard after God. And the reason why is because your destination as believers is glorious. Your future is secure. So keep following after God. 
So we see God sends the Gentiles in Antioch, the right man, with a powerful message. And notice he has a fruitful ministry there as well. Look at verse 24. For Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and, and of faith. Sounds like what was said of Stephen and Philip, right? Early on in the book of Acts. They all looked a lot alike, and the reason why they looked a lot alike is because each of them looked a lot like Jesus. Great many people were added to the Lord as well. So God sends the right man with the right message, and he has a fruitful ministry in Antioch. And notice here, Barnabas didn't just go to maintain things, to kind of keep things straight. He went to go win more Gentiles to Jesus, didn't he? He wanted more Gentiles and more Gentiles in. And then he instructed them in the faith, those who were brought in. And notice this as well. As if things were not going good enough in this church in Antioch, things get even better. God makes things even better for this church in Antioch by assembling the best team to lead this work. That's point number five. God assembles the best team to lead this work. If there were any issues early on in this church in Antioch, it was that the church was growing too fast for the leaders there. That's a good problem to have, isn't it? That's the same issue that many had in the church in Jerusalem in the first six chapters of Acts. And that's probably the reason why Barnabas goes to find help. You know, when things are going well in church ministry, the key is to find the right help to help the ministry. Boy, did Barnabas ever find the right help. Look at verse 25. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. Barnabas knew who he wanted, and boy, he got a good one, didn't he? What a church staff. Can you imagine going to this church? Who are your pastors? Oh, Barnabas and Paul. You know, that's pretty amazing, isn't it? Barnabas and Paul were to the church at Antioch what Peter and John were to the church in Jerusalem. They were giants, spiritually. Men of great faith and, and were used mightily in ministry. So notice what God does here. He starts his church in this pagan, vile, corrupt city, and he brings two of his greatest leaders together, and he uses them in awesome ways to reach thousands of Gentiles in this area for Christ. And this church, folks, it becomes strong. It becomes the sending church that sends out missionaries all over everywhere to advance God's kingdom to the ends of the earth. So notice here, we see God lays the proper groundwork to do this work. He sends the right man to start this work. Third, he selects a great city to begin this work. He sends the right man to continue this work, and he assembles the best team to lead this work. And notice the last thing he does, point number six, he uses solid teaching to strengthen this work. God uses solid teaching to strengthen this work. Look at verse 26 through 31. For a whole year, Barnabas and Paul met with the church and did what? Evangelistic outreaches? Food and fellowships? Evangelistic services in the city square? Is that what it says? No, it says they taught a great many people. You know, there's a lot of things we're told in Scripture that the church is to be doing, but you know what the main thing we're to be doing is? Teaching. The church is for teaching. A pastor once asked another well-known pastor, what makes your church grow? 
And this pastor of this large church of 5,000 or more said, it's the teaching. We take care of the depth. God takes care of the width. And the other pastor responded with, oh, it's got to be more than that. Surely teaching won't cut it. Folks, teaching is where it's at. The early church understood this. The first activity that we're told that they were doing in the early church in Acts chapter 2 is they were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. And when the apostles arrive in Antioch, Barnabas and Paul, when they got to Antioch, they taught. They taught a great many people. Teaching is essential. There are other things we're called to do as a church, but teaching is the main thing we're to be doing here. We're to be doing it at every level, in every way, through every avenue, all the time. Teaching. We're told that Barnabas and Paul spent a whole year teaching at Antioch, and the fruit that came from that labor was incredible. Because get this, folks. Mark this down. Don't forget this. When folks are set straight by the word of God, they walk straight for God. You with me? When folks are set straight by the word of God, they walk straight for God. We shouldn't even be having discussions about whether or not we should talk about theology in church. Of course we should. Because to live rightly, we ought to think rightly. No one understood this more than Paul. That's why in Ephesians and in Romans, he spends the first half of the book talking about theology and who they are in Christ. And then he gets to the doing you got to think right if you're going to live right. That's key. Well, notice the fruit from this great church. Look at the end of verse 26. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. That word means little Christs. Christ imitators. It was often used in a derogatory way. They would say, oh, there goes those little Christs. There goes those Christ wannabes, those Christ imitators. Oh, they belong to that Christ party. And we hear this world today, right, about Christians. I've had some people tell me, oh, you're a Christian, you know. You believe in those fairy tales about Jesus, huh? That's what they were saying in Antioch. But get this, you know what? The people in Antioch, they wore that name proudly. And they bore it well. They did imitate Christ They did long to be like him. They did long to shine his light in their dark and dead world in Antioch. And that's the way we're to respond today. There are so many people in our world today who claim to be Christian and they bring shame on the name by living the exact opposite in the world. Folks, hear me when I say this. If you claim to be a Christian, you better wear that name well. It was given to the finest given to the finest those in that day in Antioch they wore that name well that's why they were called Christians in the first place and their Christ lived Christ like life stemmed from the teaching they received on a daily basis they go hand in hand notice some more fruit we see from the Christians at Antioch look at verses 27 through 30 
Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. There were still Jewish prophets in, in the first century and they come down from Jerusalem to Antioch and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over the whole world. Now this took place in the days of Claudius and there is historical record in fact on this famine. It took place in the 40s A.D. And so notice what the Gentile disciples from Antioch do when they're told this news. Verse 29, they determined everyone according to his own ability to send relief to the brothers, Jewish brothers, living in Judea. Boy, God had really changed things by his gospel, and he does, doesn't he? He changes things when his gospel moves into town. These barriers that existed between the Jews and the Gentiles had really come down. These two groups had truly been united through the accomplished work of the Lord Jesus Christ and through the power of His Holy Spirit. Notice here you have Jews ministering to Gentiles in Antioch and you have Gentiles sending relief to the Jews in Judea. They gave according to their ability and they also sent people from their church to go and minister to them. And who did they send? Well, they sent their best. Verse 30. And they did so sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. They sent Barnabas and Saul to go see about what's going on with their Jewish brothers in Judea, and they bring this relief to them. They, they gave out of their wealth, and they sent the best they had. How did they get like this? They'd been changed from the inside out. They had given their life up and over to Jesus, and Jesus had changed them. They have been instructed by God's word, by two, of, by two of Christ's best disciples, and what resulted from that was great fruit. They looked and lived like Christ, so much so that all of those around them in Antioch called them Christians first. Folks, I want to be a church like this. How about you? I want to be a church like this. I want to move in this direction. I want people outside of these church walls looking in and saying, they look like Christ. They sound like him, look like him, walk like him, live like him, not just here, but out there too, when we're out there. I want to be like this church, don't you? But for you to be like them, you must first ask yourself this question. This is pivotal. Have you been transformed by Christ? That's step one. That's the foundation right there. You want to live like Christ, you've got to be changed. He's got to be your Lord. You've got to be forgiven of your sin. You've got to turn from that sin. You've got to make Jesus your Lord. And you've got to be made one with God. You've got to be, become a child of God through Jesus. Before you can move in this direction, you've got to belong to God. And if you're here this morning and you've never made Christ the Lord of your life, I pray you take that first step today so that you can move with us as a church in this direction. Because I want to head in this direction, don't you? So if you're here this morning and you have never turned over the reins of your life, you've, you've, you've never turned from your sin and given your life up and over to Jesus, now's the time. 
God has you here, I, I have no doubt, for this reason, to hear this message so that you in turn would give your life to Jesus and have life in his name. I pray if you've never made that decision that you do before you leave here today. Let's pray.